We are going to talk about singleness and a few of the aspects surrounding the concept of singleness. So before I begin, I just want to assure you, if it doesn't matter if you're recently married, if you've been married for a lot of years, if you're dating, if you're not dating, if you're con content and satisfied in your singleness, if you're not, there's going to be something here for you today. So try not to tune me out and uh, let's see what God would have for, for us today. I'm going to open us in a word of prayer once again, and we'll get started. Oh, Heavenly Father, I just thank you for the opportunity to make much of you today, to be able to um, share some of the truths in your word about your love and what a walk with you looks like, what a satisfied walk with you looks like. No matter, no matter the circumstances. Lord, this is, this is about you today. May you be glorified and magnified. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, so let me define terms first of all. By single, I mean single as in not married. So you can be divorced, you could be widowed, you could be dating, even engaged. If you're single, you're not married. So... If you're married, married equals married. You got that? Okay. Um, so I want a quick show of hands. Who is, who is single by those definitions? Okay. Who is married? All right. <laughs> Any surprises? No surprises, right? Okay. Um, great. Well, why am, why am I here? Why have I been chosen to come up and speak to you guys? Um, well, I have just entered my 41st year I guess you could say in life, because I, I just turned 40, so that means you're on your next year already. And I've spent all 40 of my years single, so I've got a little bit of experience in this. I happen to have a lot of friends in this stage of life as well, and I've, been, I've actually had the blessing of being able to interview a lot of them and hear from them, so you're going to get not just what I have to say, but what a lot of uh, your brothers and sisters have to say as well. So um, I learned things the hard way at times, as some of you may remember from hearing my testimony, and but I, hopefully I've learned a few things, even the hard way, and I'll be able to share some of those with you today. So now, why the topic of singleness? Um, I would venture to say, from those of you that raised your hands that you're single, the majority, the vast majority of you, when you are 40, will not be up here giving a talk on singleness because you probably won't be single. That is just a fact of life. Although current generations in, in the world are tending to get married a little bit later, the majority of you are not going to be single when you're 40. You could say you're an endangered species. <laughs> so why should I bother with the topic? If you're going to be married soon, doesn't that make this irrelevant to you? You can tune out, right? I'm setting you up if you haven't noticed. Um, you can't tune out. Well, you could, but I might have an egg or two left, so I wouldn't recommend it. Okay, I have a, I have a thesis statement for you. It's going to kind of frame a little bit of what I'm going to talk about today. And that statement is, that, is this. Although God intends us to live in community and be in relationship, our default spiritual existence is singular. I'm going to say that again. Although God intends us to live in community and to be in relationship, our default spiritual existence is singular. Did you guys notice a little different setting of the chairs today? I did that on purpose because I wanted you to have a little bit of distance from those around you 
to be able to think about this and think about your relationship with the Lord. So Genesis 3, a little bit of, a little bit of support for my thesis statement. And I'm wrestling through this, so um, there's a lot of aspects I won't cover today. But anyways, uh, Genesis 3, we have the fall of humanity into sin. If you go back and look at that, each individual in, in the scenario, both Adam and Eve, each had fault, right? They had guilt in that situation. And when God shows up and they're ducking behind the olive trees and whatever other brush they could find, uh, he addresses them each individually. He says, Adam, where are you? I'm hiding. Why are you hiding? Who told you you were naked? And he says, that person you gave me, that woman you gave me, it's her fault. Eve, what have you done? Have you eaten of the tree? Eve says, why this serpent? So they're trying to blame shift. They're trying to accuse. But God asks and calls them out individually for their sin. And then he gives consequences individually. Even though they were married, there was an element of them standing before the Lord individually. You see the same thing. Who has Galatians 6? All right, can I have Galatians 6, please? Okay, two different um, verses, verse 2 and verse 5. They are both talking about bearing a weight or a load or a burden. The first one is talking about how if anyone is caught in a trespass, we should, who are spiritual, should come alongside, should help them out, should help bear the load. There's a spiritual load for each of us that um, at times we're going to need other people to help us bear. That's the part of living in community. But if you go into verse 5, there's an accountability that we have before the Lord that nobody else can, can bear for us. Each of us are going to bear our own load before the Lord, and our relationship with Him is a part of that. The Greek word in verse 5 is the same word in Matthew 11.30 that says, um, where it says, Come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and, and I will give you rest. Um, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That same word. That's our relationship with the Lord, and it is so important that we recognize that and that that is a very important part of our life. Okay, so a little bit about church life. Uh, so what is the chief end of man? You guys are in Bible college. Yeah, a little louder. To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Okay, in the church sometimes it feels a little different uh, when it comes to singleness and, and marriage. And uh, as you get older in life, and if you remain single for, for a few more years, you'll, you'll see that it kind of feels like it sometimes in the church that the chief end of man is to marry well and to be glorified through sinless offspring. <laughs> now, in our culture, that kind of can, can be what it feels like, but that is not the first answer I would, I would venture is the correct one. There can be a lot of pressure when you are single in the church, but it's important to realize that our satisfaction doesn't come through our status on Facebook. It's not whether we're single, whether we're in a relationship. Um, there's a lot of people that are married in the church that are very unhappy, that are grumbling and complaining, that have, have struggles. I want you to understand that in singleness, you, 
Uh, let me say it this way. The loneliest person is often not a single person, but it's the person who's in a marriage who is not focused on the right things. Um, someone who is dissatisfied after acquiring a spouse, after having children, because their focus has never been where it has needed to be, and that's on Christ. So, let's see. Um, so, okay. Trying to cut a little bit of time out because I know I'm going to run long today if I don't be careful. Okay, so there is an answer to finding contentment and finding um, satisfaction in Christ. And that is a lesson that Paul learned. And he, we hear from him in Philippians when he says, I have been content in whatever circumstances that I find myself in. As Paul found contentment, so can we. We can find satisfaction, which is a word I prefer over contentment because Satisfaction can be found even when all of our longings are not met. Um, unfulfilled longings is not something that is something we're ever promised in this life. And that's an important thing to understand no matter, no matter what aspect you're talking about, whether it's single life or anything else that you desire. So finding satisfaction is a two-part process. And in one of the interviews that I got to do, I had a great answer um, to this. Do you remember the gal who came to chapel a few weeks ago, Sandy Ortley, and she gave us a, just a, a heartfelt rendition of, of uh, Rawhide theme song? So I, um, I loved a lot of her answers. She's been walking this whole life single. If you ask her why she never got married, she'll tell you. She knows exactly the reason. It was because her husband died at birth. So, um, that's, that's a true story, uh, that she'll tell you that. I mean, I don't know, but anyways. So her, her answer, the two-part process for finding satisfaction in Christ, take your eyes off yourself and place them on the Lord. Allow him to work in and through you. Focus on the Lord, whether being married or single. Others cannot meet your needs. Be complete in Christ. And she speaks often on her singleness. And she'll tell you it wasn't always easy, but... Those, that is the two-part answer. Take your eyes off yourself and place them on the Lord. Um, I encourage you guys, if you have some time, spend some time reading Colossians from about chapter 1, verse 28, on through chapter 3. That section is just a huge section on being in Christ and finding completeness in Him and finding satisfaction in Him. And it has all of this passage about, about that and, and putting your eyes on him. And then at the very end of chapter 3, it talks about, let me double check my saying the right thing. Um, yeah, at the very end of that, it talks about relationships in the family and in the body. Um, relationships with wives and husbands and children. But all of that is all preceded by finding your contentment and your fulfillment in Christ. So, how can you be single and find contentment? That is one of the questions that I ask the many people that I interviewed. So here are a few of their answers. By living each day as a gift from the Lord, no matter what your status is, he has created work for you, so be busy about finding out what that work is. How many of you guys have ever heard the phrase, the gift of singleness? I'm not a fan. <laughs> not a fan. Every day is a gift that you have been given. You choose each day how to live out that gift and what to do with that gift. I've had a few more of those gifts be single life. And honestly, 
I wouldn't trade any one of them. Some of you already have the gift of marriage, and each gift that you have is, is a gift living in, in, a, in, a, in a wonderful union that God has designed. So don't use that term. Not, not recommended. Okay, um, another re- way you can be single and find contentment. If I am not dis- disciplining myself in the word of God and prayer on a daily basis, I grow discontent. Not just singleness, but with anything. I thought that was very insightful. Be comfortable with yourself and in your own skin. Laugh at yourself. Buy rubber chickens. I added that part. Uh, laugh, laugh at other people. Don't fall victim to comparing yourself. Turn your life to the Lord. Turn your eyes to him. Serve him. Take your eyes off self, what you don't have or can't do. Nothing is finer than that. Don't ask, why am I still single? But rather, what am I going to do with the time I have and the time I've been given? So what if you desire marriage? Many people that are single have a desire to be married. Married. Marriage is a godly and very good desire. In that desire, seek the one who is the giver of all good things. As you seek him, you will find satisfaction, even for as long as that desire remains a desire. If you desire marriage, don't pursue marriage. Pursue God. Don't take plans into your own hands. See that marriage is not a one-stop shop to all things happy, beautiful, and easy. That one is interesting. I was from a, a... friend of mine who, um, he and his wife just got married a year ago, but they both were well into their 30s when they got married. He had years of singleness, and he's now had a year of marriage. It's not just instant wedded bliss. That's not how it works. Any desire of any kind has to be held loosely with soft hands. All right, so this mindset will set you up well to live a satisfied life having your eyes and focus on Christ. The majority of you will be married someday, the majority of you who are single. So I encourage you and challenge you, do your future spouse a favor, pursue and beg God to develop a deep satisfaction in Christ in your soul. It will serve you very well, no matter what your status down the road. Okay, a little bit about Jesus and his life and what he was about. He is our perfect example, right? He was the perfect human. Hebrews 4.15, uh, I, don't, I don't think I gave out Hebrews 4.15, did I? No. Um, Hebrews 4.15 says, um, Therefore we do not have a high priest that cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in every point tempted as we are, and yet without sin. He understood what it meant to walk the Christian life perfectly as a single man, and he did, he did it without sin, and he didn't do it by pulling the God card. He did it by relying on the Lord through the Holy Spirit. John 17, 4, um, I don't have that memorized, but Jesus is praying in his high priestly prayer, and he prays that he has completed the work that God gave him to do. As a single man, he had work assigned. God had given him a job and given him work to do, and he completed it. As a single person, you have work to do in the kingdom. You have a lot of work to do in the kingdom, and you don't know how long that work is going to last. We're told in Ephesians 2.10 that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What works has God given you, even now in your single life or in your married life, what works has God given you to do, and are you busy doing them? Okay, more from our panel of singles. Is being single second class? 
it, I wish I could capture the, the faces of the people when I asked them that question because they would just kind of startle and they'd be like, no. I, I, got a, I got a pretty emotional response from everyone I asked. So this one was, no, it's awesome. God doesn't judge us based on our relationship status. It's about our hearts and our individual walks with the Lord, no matter our circumstances. Another one was, no, but you can be made to feel that way. Those of you who are married, I'll just encourage and challenge you right now. As much joy and fulfillment and, and satisfaction and happiness you find as a married person, be careful as you interact with singles. Don't assume that that's what they need to find satisfaction and happiness. Don't try to fix them up all the time. Ask them, inquire, how are you doing? What do you think about that? Engage them. Don't assume that you understand where they're coming from. And don't assume that the answer that God has for their life is marriage. Value them in where God has them. What are some of the challenges that you have experienced in your single life? Feeling second class in the context of the church. The burden of provision and life challenges. Battling the desire of wanting to be married. Which, ironically, immediately this person gave me the answer, their answer for battling that desire. And it was, excuse me, done through seeking him, serving him, being disciplined and growing in my relationship with God. Um, help when physically sick. If you have roommates, that helps. Okay, here, here's a good one for, for you men in the church. This gal said, guy tasks. Car issues, plumbing fixes, etc. That's a challenge when you're a single gal, and even if you're a single gal with single roommates, um, that's a way that you can possibly serve your sisters in Christ. Work Christmas parties are hard. Finding a sense of belonging at times can be hard. But let's look at the other side. What are some of the blessings of being single? Seeing God's faithfulness producing a satisfaction that blankets your situation, even with a desire for something else. Flexibility, freedom to move for jobs, can live very simply. You don't need much. Undistracted before the Lord. Independence, not having to ask permission except in the Lord. Watching the Lord provide single-handedly without an intermediary. That was a woman who, who doesn't have a husband. She, she could see the Lord provide directly for her. Intimacy with the Lord, that is different than when you are married. And she was speaking as having Christ as your bridegroom the freedom to be available to serve others at any time. The example is given of bringing a smoothie to a friend at 10 p.m. Um, so, lots of blessings. Um, I want to transition into sexuality and marriage preparation. As I said, most of you are going to be married someday. How you handle your life now is going to be critical for what that looks like in the future. Uh, how many of you have heard of Christopher Yuan? I'm borrowing a term that he used called holy sexuality. And he is a man who came out of a, a very promiscuous homosexual life, accepted Christ, and went to Bible college, and now teaches and gives his testimony, at least nationally, if not internationally. And so I, I give credit to his term, holy sexuality. And I want to talk about that a little bit. In Jesus' perfect example to us, we find encouragement and guidance in how to think about the sexual desires that God has built into us as humans. <clears throat> Those desires are not innately sinful, right? I sure hope you've heard that before now, but how God has built us 
as sexual beings, there's nothing inherently sinful about that in the desires that he's given us. It's a beautiful thing that God designed to be expressed through marriage. But we see in Jesus' humanity, it isn't required for satisfaction before Christ. He tells us and he shows us, demonstrates something that the world vehemently and almost violently denies. The world, especially rampant in our Western culture, is hypersexed. Have you guys seen that? Do you know what that means? The world wants you to believe that you need sex and a lot of it all the time. The world wants you to believe that the, well, you see that, how, where the world comes up with that in, in just the sexual expression and gender revolution in our country. You see that, I'm just sickened to see it, how it's affecting the youth. I mean, think of the children's clothes these days. They're so suggestive and provocative and seductive. Children's beauty pageants, all of the sex trafficking. I mean, don't get me started on TV and movies. I mean, it's, it's awful. Those of us who seek to follow Christ are really up against it because every little thing that we let into our minds or our ears or our eyes our potential to turn our hearts and our conscience away from Christ. And it's everywhere. You can't, you can't walk down the street without being impacted by that. But God, Jesus' life proves that expression of your sexual desires is not required for living a satisfied life. Say what? Let me repeat that. Jesus' life proves that the expression of your sexual desires is not required for living a satisfied life. As I said earlier, most of you are going to be married. And how you understand and control your sexual desires as a single person has everything to do with your future marriage. I've had the chance to counsel married women in the areas of sex. I'm not going to lie, it's a little awkward for a single woman. Um, but as I have done that, it's a, you get to see a beautiful picture of Christ-likeness in marriage and in God's design. If you read the beginning of 1 Corinthians 7, you find that God's design for sexual expression is it follows the Philippian 2 pattern of considering others' interests above your own. Love gives, it doesn't take. And that is even true of sexual expression. Biblical love must control our sexual desires. Brothers and sisters, I just challenge you. We must take the consumer mentality regarding sex and relationships that the world shoves down our throat and crucify it. Beware of how your culture has influenced your thinking regarding sex and relationships, especially as a single person. It sneaks in, it creeps in, but you must let scripture shape or reshape your understanding of your identity, of your view of the opposite sex, of your view of marriage and dating. The cross tells us about real love. Real love seeks the best for its object, even to the point of sacrifice and death. So where am I going with this? Um, I'm going to hop over to 1 Thessalonians 1. Who has 1 Thessalonians 3? Who has the 1 Thessalonians passage? I'm pretty sure I gave it to somebody. Did I give it to somebody? Four, yep. Okay, so hold on to that, Abby. Um, I am going to read a little bit around that. So keeping in mind, chapter divisions are not inspired. We're going to start in 3.11, and I'm going to read a little bit leading up to the passage. I'm going to have Abby read, and then I'm going to read a little bit after the passage she's going to read. So I'm going to read the two bookends of this passage, and then I'm going to have her read it. 
So starting in uh, verse 11. Now may the God and Father himself of our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love toward one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before God our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, for you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Popping down to verse 9. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another, and indeed you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more, that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside, and that you may lack nothing. So, the bookends of the, of the middle passage that I, that I paused and skipped for a moment are all about loving and letting your brotherly love abound more and more to one another. Love gives, love protects. Um, and so I want, I want us to look at that because he mentions multiple times, let your love abound more and more. So, um, Abby, could you read the, the middle sections? Whoops. Uh, verses 3 through 8, please. Okay, until you are married, this is going to be really profound, ready? Until you are married, you are single. Who said that? Good job. Until you are married, you are single. So what does that mean? That means this verse is for you. It's a strong warning not to defraud your brother or sister. If you are not married, you are not your own. I don't care if you're dating. Even engaged, those who are, of you who are engaged, be careful. You are not your own until you are married. And neither is the person that you are in a relationship with. As we saw, love is around this passage, and it's, but it talks about not taking advantage or defrauding your brother. So what does that mean? What does it mean to defraud a brother or sister? The concept, the Greek word, is, is the idea of stealing or taking something. It's, it's taking something that is not yours. Love, again, is all over this passage. Love does not consume. Love does not steal. Love, does not, love walks in holiness. It honors another. It lacks nothing. A couple questions for us to think about. Are your thoughts and actions regarding sexual desire or the opposite sex informed more by your personal likes and dislikes or the influence of culture? Or is it by scripture? So, let's go back to our panel of singles. How can I think of men and women in a constructive way? Your thinking patterns and thought patterns that you develop as a single person, they don't go away when you get married. So we want to be, we want to be, we want to be thinking correctly and thinking well. So, how can I think of men and women in a constructive way? 
Think of every man or woman as someone else's husband or wife. Oftentimes, most likely, they are that. Don't buy into the consumer mentality when it comes to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't make categories of potentials and non-potentials. Sure, some of us have done that. Um, relationships should not be what, about what we should get out of them, but how we can spur one another on toward godliness. View both men and women as being created in God's image, worthy of respect and grace. Okay, this one is for the women. Women, don't overanalyze. Women, don't think too far ahead. Don't let your thoughts get ahead of where you are. A good conversation with someone does not mean you're going to marry him. <laughs> that one wasn't even mine, I'll just say right now. Okay, a warning and an encouragement. Um, so again, this is going back to probably the majority of you are going to be married someday. If you are committing sexual sin on a regular basis, marriage will not fix it. I can't stress this enough. Marriage cannot sanctify or make holy a sinful sexual desire. Sinful sexual desire must be crucified before marriage or it will likely crucify your marriage. Reach out and get help. Any staff person would be happy to sit down and talk to you if you are struggling in this area. God is able to redeem any struggle you are facing. I'm talking to both men and women here. Women struggling with sexual sin is a growing thing in our culture. Please don't keep your sin hidden. Expose it to the light of Christ in the community of his saints, and he will honor that by helping you find freedom and victory for his glory. Who's got the C.S. Lewis quote? All right, let's hear it. If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. C.S. Lewis. I'm going to read a little bit from Isaiah 55. It's a good chapter to memorize if you ever want to memorize a whole chapter of Scripture. I recommend it. Okay, did I miss somebody else, or did I get all the people that had the eggs? Okay, I think I might have gotten them all. Okay, okay I'm going to read in Isaiah 55 here. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You who have no money, come, buy and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk, without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread? and your wages for what does not satisfy. Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. Let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. If you'd like to follow along, I'm going to hop over to Psalm 34. <clears throat> I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. 
The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant, and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There's no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Charles Spurgeon is quoted to have said, I have found in Jesus more I have found Jesus more sweet than his servants ever said he was. Um, could you guys all stand with me? And I'd like you to close your eyes. I'm going to finish with a few questions, a psalm and a song. Does Jesus have prominence, preeminence in your life? Is he your reason for all else? Ladies, do you speak to Jesus and about Jesus more than anyone or anything else? Is your thought life reflecting things that are true, pure, virtuous, and praiseworthy? Gentlemen, do you worship and pursue Christ and the things Christ values more than anyone or anything else, even in your free time, quote-unquote, free time? Have you put a guard over your eyes? Are you walking in purity toward your sisters, protecting them, guarding their hearts as daughters of Christ and not your own possession? Psalm 84. How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts, my soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you, Selah. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage as they valley through the valley of Bacah, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, of, Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Selah. O God, behold our shield and look upon the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing, no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in you.